Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is no one, actually, which is why this is a very special episode. Um, Due to some holiday traveling, we weren't actually able to get all four of us together to record a normal episode this week. So what we're releasing instead is this Say That Holiday Survival Kit so this is, we're going to do something a little different this week. Basically what we've got is a little uh, Christmas worship service for you to put in your headphones. It's going to be uh, three Christmas songs, both by Jed and Lee and some other friends. And then you'll hear a devotional that uh, Glenn and Jed wrote for our bridge box last Christmas. The topic being, how do I love my family when they have issues, which if you're anything like those of us on this podcast, is something you deal with every Christmas. So we hope that's going to help out. That's an exclusive, by the way. You're not going to hear that anywhere else on these interwebs, just on this special episode. And those songs you can are all going to be cuts off of our Bridgebox Christmas album. There's six total songs on that EP. So if you want to get a hold of that and have those in your iPod, be able to download them for yourself, you can sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, or you can sign up for the special Lee Younger branded Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash BBLY. Each of those is $8 a month, and you get lots of cool stuff, songs, sermons, Bible studies, devotionals, to help you in your walk. And if you want to get them both, you can email me, matt at missionusa.com, and I'll give you a special link you can go to get both of those. It's $8 a month each, but if you send me an email for that link, I'll get you those for $12. So you can sign up for those, missionusa.com slash bridgebox, or missionusa.com slash bbly. So we're going to jump right into this little worship service here, but at first I want to say if you enjoy this, if you uh, like kind of this idea, we do this every week over on our other podcast called The Bridge Podcast. You can find that in iTunes, or you can find it at thebridgepodcast.podbean.com. And that's this kind of thing every week. It's a little shorter than what you're going to hear here. It's a couple of songs and then a sermon and then a little uh, scripture memorization track. So that's free every Monday that comes out. And uh, it's just a little extra 20, 25-minute worship service for you to toss in your headphones, get a little extra encouragement for your week. So we hope you'll check that out if you haven't already. And uh you know, subscribe, leave a review, all that stuff helps us out. So we're going to take you to this episode real quickly right here. So uh, Merry Christmas. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
with illegal immigrants fleeing for their lives in manual labor in the middle of the night a couple bunking down in a parking lot cause they've got nowhere else to go no they have not in the God said, don't worry, baby, I will come around. It starts with a teenage pregnancy we're all ashamed of. And getting out of town before they get their guns. It starts with the military occupation of a foreign land. And bureaucrats from far away with unreasonable demands. In the cancer war, they unlearn. What's going on 
In the battered women's shelter They just stare at the ground But God said don't worry baby I have come around Stumble in the night Lord, did you forget about us? Are you gonna make this right? Is this how we always will be? Is this what we'll always do? Do we have a hope of changing? Can we ever come to you? To you? Undo our own Wash me You've lost all that's inside Our other plans have been exhausted We're too tired to make this right Would you take our hands and guide us Lost her way so long ago Fill our hearts, Lord, and allow us To trust you and bring us all back home Back home Undo our own Wash me Change everything Heal broken hearts Give us reason to sing Oh, come down and change everything Undo our wrong Wash, make us clean Oh, come down change everything 
Give us reason to sing Oh, come down and change everything We all, every one of us, have a way that deep down we wish things were. Maybe we wish we drove a Ferrari, or maybe that we had 24-inch biceps or a 24-inch waist. Some of us wish we were fabulously wealthy. And it should be said, there's nothing wrong with a certain amount of daydreaming. Where we start to run into problems is when we start living like our fantasies are true. So, for example, think about a guy who works at Starbucks. Now, maybe deep down, he dreams about being a big-shot Wall Street investor. Nothing wrong with that. But if, while he's working at Starbucks, he starts spending money as though he were a big-shot investor, pretty soon his credit cards will be maxed out and the bill collectors will be at the door. And that's a problem. Make sense? We do this a lot with our relationships, living as though our fantasies were true. Maybe you know somebody in a bad dating relationship who's living as though they've met Prince Charming and are busily planning their dream wedding. The problem, of course, is that dude isn't Prince Charming and no amount of pretending is going to change that. Your friend is still in a bad relationship. The most common place this happens is with our families. Truth be told, I think we'd all like to live in a coffee commercial. You know the one I'm talking about. It's Christmas morning and everyone is curled up around the living room in bathrobes, big smiles, sipping steaming hot cups of coffee, laughing and enjoying each other's company. That sounds great to me, and I bet it does to you too. The problem is that, for most of us, our families don't act anything like that. So what do we do? In the long term, living this Christian life is about setting what is real next to what is ideal and figuring out how to reconcile the two. So, for example, one Christian ideal is that we shouldn't have a bad attitude. In fact, Scripture tells us that your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. Now, if that's the ideal part, what does the real side of things look like? Well, for each of us, some days we wake up and just plain have a terrible outlook on life. That's reality, whether it's supposed to be that way or not. So we need a strategy for getting from the real, which is our bad attitude, to the ideal, which is being just like Jesus. And we need patience, understanding, and perspective for that journey. This is a simple idea, and it's a cornerstone of a healthy walk with Jesus. But when it comes to dealing with our families, we often lose sight of this dynamic, and things get ugly in a hurry. In other words, in the way that we look at them, we often treat family relationships as though they were exempt from the way we handle the rest of our Christian lives. 
Let's look at that in action. We all want to be good sons and daughters, and we should want that. But living out the life of an ideal child actually requires you to have a healthy parent. For example, ideally, we would thank our parents for the sacrifices that they've made for us. But if our expressions of thanks are met with cynicism, sarcasm, or derision, the whole situation has broken down, no matter how hard we are trying. I can focus on being the ideal son, but if I don't accept the simple reality that I have a dysfunctional parent, for example, then I'm no longer wrestling with how to live out those ideals in a practical way. If I can accept the reality of having an imperfect, and in some cases, dysfunctional parents, then I can use principles like only give people as much as they're willing to receive. Good principles might encourage positive change in the world around me, including my parents. But if I don't face the reality of my situation, I'm instead living out a fantasy in the superstitious belief that me playing the role of ideal son will magically change things. The difficult truth is that pretending to have an ideal situation when I really don't oftentimes makes things worse. In that moment of pretending, I'm opening the door to the abuse of my trust, to me enabling bad behavior, and to manipulation. Sadly, many of those things will occur, and senseless, needless suffering will take place. Now, as it turns out, it's easy to justify the pretending approach. It's easy to throw up my hands and say, I was just doing my best to try and be a good son. And that feels right. It's ideal, yes, but in terms of having a firm and accurate sense of the reality of that family dynamic, it's just not working. As a Christian, I can often be talked into playing the martyr all too easily. That is to say, I can be willing to cause myself to suffer in order to keep the family together, or I can put up with everyone else's misbehavior as a part of ensuring that we all get along. Most of us have done this at one point or another. But when we play the martyr, we often miss the fact that our suffering isn't keeping the family together. We don't notice that we're putting up with nonsense, but no one is flipping getting along anyway. One of the awful realities about playing the martyr, particularly in family situations, is that it simply doesn't work. We've made ourselves miserable and no good has come out of it. And here's where we need to be crystal clear. God never calls us to make pointless sacrifices. He never asks us to suffer for no reason. Families have a way of creating their own little bubble and writing their own rules. They can create their own little culture and there can sometimes be tremendous pressure to live within that culture, and the level of emotional manipulation can be elaborate and enormous. Jesus addressed this world of human culture and family obligations 
in Luke 9:59-62. Jesus said, "Follow me." But the man replied, "Lord, first let me go and bury my father." Jesus said to him, "Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God." Still another said, "I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family." Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We should make no mistake about this. There will come a time when God will lead you one way and your family and its culture will lead you another. That test will take place. Jesus faced the same thing with his own family. There came a point early on in Jesus' ministry, where the religious leaders decided that Jesus was a bit of competition they could do without. So they tried to find ways to make him look bad. They did whatever they could to put him down, including making the bizarre claim that Jesus was in league with the devil because he healed sick people on the Sabbath. You have to be a special kind of person to look at a miracle and call it work. Because Jesus was awesome, he pointed out this hypocrisy loudly with hard-cutting language. He rebuked those religious leaders in a harsh and relentless way. And when Jesus' mothers and brothers heard about this, they didn't say, good for Jesus. Nobody should be talking smack about a member of my family. No, instead, they all got together and decided that Jesus was insane. They said he had estemi, a word meaning that mentally he had lost his footing and fallen into a sort of daze. They thought Jesus was straight up crazy. And then they decided, as families often do, to help. They were going to put a stop to Jesus' crazy behavior. So they went to where Jesus was and found a whole crowd of crazy people. These folks listening to Jesus also seemed to have the insane idea that he was something more than just a wise teacher who needed to rein it in every now and then. Undeterred, Jesus' family sent word for him to come out away from these people so they could confront Jesus as a family. They knew that if it was up to the crowd, the family would get outvoted. But if it's up to the family, Jesus would get outvoted. Now, then, here's how it went down. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. Jesus was saying, There are relatives and there's family. You may be my relatives, but you aren't acting like my family and you won't be given an audience while you're acting that way. Now, all this could almost lead us to think that maybe family has less meaning within Christianity than most church people think it does. 
but I'm not so sure about that either. After all, the Bible has plenty of verses about what it means to be a good parent and a good son and a good husband and a good wife. But what do we do when our family or the family of someone we're counseling has utterly lost sight of those biblical ideals? Sure, we have a sense of what a biblically good parent would be like, godly, generous, patient, gentle. But what do we do when mom or dad are nowhere close to that? One thing Jesus' story makes clear is that we certainly can't just say family is the most important thing and enable them to continue their abusive ways and call that good Christianity. Jesus himself didn't put up with that. Perhaps the first step is defining for yourself what a good Christian member of your family would look like. In other words, oftentimes troubled family members are eager to set the agenda for what you have to do in order to be a good and right part of the family. But what if you decided from now on, God and I are going to figure out what the right role is for me in this family and no one else gets a vote? What would that look like? Pray over that. Let God show you where to stand your ground, where to serve and help family, and where to let the little things go. Let God give you a sense of how this thing should look in the real world, in your unique family situation. Yes, a dysfunctional family will not be in favor of this new definition because they can't manipulate it. But you can rest in the knowledge that your definition of a good family member actually involves, in the long run, doing more for them than what they would try to manipulate you into. It just happens to not be the dysfunctional stuff they want you to do. Now, they are likely to shout, Honor thy father and mother! This will always be in the King James for some reason. One imagines it's supposed to have more gravity that way. But honorable families never have to quote that verse. They act honorably and they call forth a sense of honor in those around them. Family loyalty is a two-way street. In fact, the Bible sets the standard of a mutually accountable relationship between parents and children. Ephesians chapter 6 states, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, do not exasperate your children. As it turns out, love is unconditional, but loyalty, like trust, is earned. Jesus said, These people are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a funeral song, and you did not cry. As Christians, we don't dance to the tune of dysfunctional families. No, we stand our ground. But we don't do that out of spite or ego or holding a grudge for the past. We stand our ground to set a new example. Once we realize that we can't control a dysfunctional family dynamic, we see that all we can do is control ourselves. And in doing so, in living a beautiful life that can't be bought or manipulated, we plant a seed, a word here or there, 
spoken in love from a place of balance can have an immense impact. From the perspective of your troubled family members, if they manipulate you, then your words mean nothing. They're the ones controlling your behavior, and if you're just saying what they've browbeaten you into saying, who knows how you really feel? Probably, deep down, you resent them. They fear that, so they manipulate all the more, and the cycle spirals downward. But if you exist outside of the manipulation, no matter how distressing that may be for the other members of your family, your words finally have real meaning. If, at last, you offer a kind or encouraging word, not because you have been coerced, but because you want to, everything is different. It is the unmistakable voice of confident and unafraid love. Take heart. Seek the Lord on how he's calling you, specifically to interact with your family. Let him set the agenda, not them. Stand firm against their attempts to manipulate and control, and love them out of the overflow of a healthy and satisfying Christian life. This is your best hope for the future.